You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Good morning. It's been a blessing thus far to, um, to be reminded of our great King, King Jesus. Thank you, Steve and Josiah and Jamie and Michelle and all the others, the kids and the adult choirs and the praise team. It gets us set for what we're going to be looking at this morning in Luke chapter 19. I want to make a very bold but yet simple statement, a statement that will define what we will be speaking or what I will be preaching on this morning, and it's this. We are made to worship the King Jesus. We are made, created to worship the King Jesus. Palm Sunday is one of the proofs that Jesus really claimed to be the Christ. It shows us for certain that he is our God and he is our King. So turn with me or read along. This is the word of God from Luke chapter 19 verses 28 through 44. When he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And, they, and as he was drawing near already on the way down, the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they have seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I love what Jesus answered. I tell you, If these were silent, if we were even silent today, what? The stones will cry out. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, who had known on this day the things that were make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you, and your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you, And hem you in on every side and tear you down to the crowd, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Father, these are very, it's a very powerful passage. There's so much we can say in this passage. But Father, I pray this morning that your spirit would guide my my speaking, that would guide our hearing, 
that, Lord, that we would be encouraged and blessed and challenged as we consider you as our rightful king and what that means for us in our lives. So, Lord, do your work of grace, we pray, this morning, even now, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, many, month, many months ago, I was watching a, a sitcom, well, I Love Lucy, one of my favorite sitcoms. I'm dating myself, I'm sure. But you still can see it on Netflix or Hulu, if you're ever interested. But of this particular uh, episode, it was when Lucy and Ricky and their best friends, Ethel and Fred Mertz were in London. And Lucy and Ethel were, were so excited to be in London, and the first thing they wanted to do was to see the Queen. They wanted to see royalty. And so their first event of the day is they went to Buckingham Palace hoping to see the Queen, but they failed to see, to see her. And then they found out that the Queen was going to be at their hotel, and yet again they arrived too late, and they did not see her. Finally, in all her determination to wanting to see royalty, she had the chance after a performance that her, her husband Ricky did for the queen, and she finally met the queen. She was determined to see royalty, and she finally did. Now, for us, we know we also are enthralled with royalty and determined to see it. Many, many years ago, when Prince Charles and Diana were to be married. Our eyes were drawn to the attention of the wedding. And then their son, Prince um, William, and getting married to Kate Middleton. And then now Prince Harry getting now soon to be married to the actress Meghan Markle. We love royalty. We love pageantry. pageantry. How do you say that word? But, in, but, it, but here, if you've been in Jerusalem during this time of this passage, on the day when the king of all kings rode into the holy city of God with everyone shouting their praises, oh, to be there. For as we watch this legal, legal, regal procession that Christians call Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry, we see the king claiming his property, displaying his humility and receiving some of the glory that he rightly deserves. So the question this morning, as we look at this passage, we need to ask ourselves, I need to ask, you need to ask, am I ready to give King Jesus all of myself, my wealth, my time, my worship that he really deserves? So with that in mind, let us see how Jesus is our rightful king in three following ways. He's the rightful king because he claims his property. He's the rightful king because he displays his humility. And he is our rightful king because he is, receives his glory. First look with me that Jesus is our rightful king because he claims his property. Jesus begins this account of the triumphal entry by letting us know how he gets his ride. He was a couple of miles from Jerusalem, and he needs something to ride on so he can enter the city. He needed not a big limo, does he not? No, he needs a simple colt, a colt of a donkey tied up with his mother. 
as the Gospel of Matthew expands. And even the Gospel of Matthew 21 ex shows the, the ideas of, of the palms and so forth. But I often wondered, why did the owners agree to let someone take their donkey away? Even as Jesus said they would, with perfect foreknowledge. See, Jesus predicted exactly what would happen. The owners, yeah, did question the disciples for untying the donkey. But when the, when the disciples gave the answer that Jesus told them the Lord has need of it, they gladly gave of their donkey with no other questions. They were willing to serve Jesus in that way. Now, did Jesus previously arrange to borrow the donkey? Or perhaps they knew of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, so they recognized them because he was often in that area? Regardless of how those questions are asked, they certainly seemed to know who the Lord was. And they were ready to serve him. They were willing to give up something that belonged to them. Interesting, though, is that this is the first time that Jesus is asking for another's property. Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have money. He never asked for anything in this way. Jesus did not have anything, and he never asked for anything. The whole purpose, right, of his ministry is to give of himself, to let go of his divine privilege so that he can become a servant in saving people. Hosanna, to save people to himself. Jesus was always giving to others and never getting things for himself. Yet Jesus, yet Jesus, yet this one time, he makes his final preparation to enter into Jerusalem, orchestrating the events of Palm Sunday, and Jesus says he needs the donkey colt. So let me set the record straight. And I love that we read this passage in Col Colossians, because the colt was rightfully his anyway by virtue that he made it. Let me remind you, this is what Paul says in his, in his letter to Colossians. This is God's word. He says this about Jesus. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. So when the disciples untied the coat and brought it to their, to their Lord, they were bringing a creature that was made by Jesus and for Jesus. It was his coat from the beginning and to be used for his glory. From the, from the beginning of this famous day, we see that Jesus is the rightful king of all kings. He has the right to claim personal ownership of everything he made. All is the personal property of God the Son. Let's get practical. Much like the owners of the donkey who eagerly and immediately responded and gave their colt for the service of King Jesus, we must too. They did not claim their colt as their own, but willingly gave it to the Lord. For it was their King and Lord that they were giving it to. For he had need of it. We should take that same attitude towards everything in life that we call our own, our money, our time, our possessions, our relationships, our careers, our entire life. 
right? There is a cost to following Jesus. You're experiencing the cost of following Jesus in this vote that you're about to take today. And you're taking that vote because you believe whole in your heart that Jesus is the rightful king. And he deserves the ultimate allegiance to your life and into this church. Jesus is a rightful king because he owns all. He's sovereign over all. So we need to ask ourselves, if Jesus is the rightful king, and if the rightful king needs those things in your life, ask, does the Lord have need of this? Does he need it more for the kingdom of God than I do in my own well-being? See, when we consider the vast needs of a community in a world that is broken and lost without the gospel, the answer will usually be yes. Friends, are you and I willing by the grace and mercy of God to let the rightful king stake his claim to what we own and have and which is really his royal property to begin with? All of what we do belongs to the rightful king. But not only do we see that he's our rightful king because he claims property, we see that he is a rightful king because he dis displays humility. See, the reason Jesus needed to cult, the cult was to display his humility in fulfillment of the prophecy found in Zechariah. Zechariah is in the later part of the Old Testament, and it's Matthew's account of, of the triumphal entry uh, shares this, this passage. And this is what Zechar Zechariah prophesies. He says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, by riding into Jerusalem, picture it, right? On a bar colt, the rightful king, Jesus, was making a public statement. See, normally a king with pomp and circumstances would ride a stallion of war at the head of a mighty armor, bringing wealth for his royal treasury. But this is not the way King Jesus comes. Jesus comes gentle, riding on a donkey, for he knew these words of Zechariah, as many did during that time. These words explain why Jesus sent his disciples to get a purebred donkey, a colt that had never been ridden. He knew this old prophecy, which, which foretold that, his, that the rightful king would come, bringing salvation and riding on a donkey's pole. Jesus needed the colt to serve as a prompt of the drama of redemption. It was a fulfillment of prophecy that he fulfilled, and only he. Early in Luke, the angel told Mary that Jesus would be the king. But now his royalty is on full display and on full view as he enters into Jerusalem on this donkey. He was riding the donkey of Israel's kingship. The people of Jerusalem immediately recognized this as a royal symbol when Jesus came on a donkey. It is clear from their shouts of praise when they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
when people saw Jesus riding to Jerusalem, they knew he was coming as a king, as their king. I love what Philip Ryken says in his commentary on this passage. He says this, What they did not understand was what kind of king he had come to be. Although, he, although maybe the donkey should have given him a clue, given them a clue. This was not a political statement, he says, as most of them thought. It was a spiritual statement. Jesus had not come to take control of the government. He had not come to overthrow Romans through military might. No, Jesus was a new kind of king. He had come in meekness and in gentleness and in humility to be the Messiah, king of peace. If people accepted him, he would receive their praise. But if they rejected him, he would do nothing to defend himself, even to the point of death. Jesus is riding into our lives today in the same way, with all gentleness and humility. He does not come crushing us with his superior might, which he definitely could have done. But he says this, right, to his disciples and to those who want to follow him. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. And you will find, what? Rest for your souls. See, if Jesus is a king of humility and of gentleness, then anyone who loves him, who claims faith in him, should serve with him, serve with the same kind of humility. That's a cost of discipleship too. One scholar comments that Jesus could just as well have ridden into the city on a high horse. But he says this, but the donkey stands out as deliberate rejection of the symbol of arrogant trust and human might, expressing humble submission to the sovereignty of God. Jerusalem's king is of humble means, yet victorious. And so it has always been that the church does not effectively spread the gospel by sword or by arrogance, but by mirroring the humble spirit of its king and savior. You see, right, rather than writing to, to set everyone straight, as we, as we rest in, the, in Jesus as our savior and Lord, we mirror him, right? And so we ride and more like Jesus, we come people sharing the gospel of Jesus with gentleness and with the peace he delights to offer. We don't demand our rights and our ways, but we follow the way of Christ who humbly, sacrificially served for the sake of others. And because we have put our faith in Christ, we, by his mercy and grace, are able to come and to serve with humility as well. Jesus displays that he is rightful king because he claims all property. He, 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 he displays humility as our rightful king. But we also see in verses 35 and 40 that he receives the glory of the rightful king. Look at what it says again. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set, on, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, already on the way down the, the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they have seen. We see, first, the disciples giving glory to their grateful King Jesus. 
In verse 35, it said that the disciples untied the donkey. They brought it to Jesus, and then they throw their cloaks on the colt. And then they put Jesus on the colt. Let's not miss those actions. They are very important actions that the disciples did there. In these actions, this is a first acknowledgement that Jesus was the rightful king. Why do I say this? Kings do not ride bareback. They sit in a royal saddle riding a mount decorated with royal purple. If Jesus was a rightful king, then he too was to be exalted to sit directly on the donkey. The dignity of his royal personal demands special honor. He needed a saddle fit for the king. So the disciples said, okay, how can we do that? So they, they honored them as, his, his, as their king as they took their own cloaks and they covered the donkey's back. Then to continue to show their intimate affection and adoration, they lifted Jesus up and sat him on the donkey. This is another exaltation, another display of Jesus' kingly glory, glory. The disciples wanted Jesus to receive honor that he alone deserves. I'm a big athlete. I love sports. And often when a team wins a championship, what do they do? They usually take the coach and they, they lift him up and they celebrate, right? Because he, he is, their, their, in a sense, their rightful king of leading them into victory. And in a more grander way, the disciples are showing us and to the world that he is our rightful king as, he, as, he, as they do these actions that show that they are committed to giving him the glory that he rightly deserves. No one else other than Jesus. But not only do we see the glory that disciples give Jesus, we see the people are giving him glory as well. Look at verse 36. It says the crowds began to spread their cloaks on the, on the road. And then in Matthew's account, it talks about the palms were laid as well. See, they were worshiping Jesus as a rightful king too. They, 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 it was like them saying that Jesus was too worthy to ride on an ordinary road. They, he deserved a royal carpet. See, when people drew down their cloaks and palms, they were saying this. King Jesus, you are greater than I am. You have so much more worthy and honor than I do. That when your donkey walks over my clothes, it's not an insult to me, but my privilege. As Jesus' entry continued towards Jerusalem, larger crowds gathered, and they were showing Jesus the glory and honor of a rightful king. Already many people were there due to the Passover, and they were already excited about celebrating the Passover. But now they, they have seen this parade that Jesus was leading, right? And there even more, there's even more wonder. There's even more excitement. There's even more en um, energy. Because people love royalty, right? They want to see what's going on. But with this, this was the accumulation of everything the disciples had been hoping for, the proof that Jesus was the Christ. Right? They had seen him heal the sick, cure the blind, raise the dead. They heard him preach the gospel, proclaiming forgiveness through repentance. They have come to know him as the Messiah, the Christ, who had all the power of God. Now as Jesus rode this royal mile into the holy city of Jerusalem, 
they clearly saw that he was the king, the king of all kings, and they wanted everyone to make way for his royal possession. The shouts of praise that, claimed, that come from the lips were songs fitting for the coming king. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These words, listen, these words are reserved only for the rightful king. Jesus is that rightful king. The rightful king is here today. Jesus Christ is the king. We owe allegiance only to him and him alone. But what's interesting, there's another group in this, in this crowd that did not want anything to do with it. They were the Pharisees, right? While the disciples and people were praising Jesus as king, the Pharisees, the people who knew about the law, who knew about this Messiah, they were not excited. These grumpy old Pharisees, these party poopers of the gospel, they did not believe that Jesus was the rightful king and did not deserve to be worshipped as the king. Look at verse 19. The Pharisees said, yell to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They hated when Jesus was getting the attention. They were jealous of his popularity and of his effective ministry. Here they even refused to worship and tried to have stop other people from worshiping. But the king will always have his worship. Look at verse 40. How did Jesus answer them? I tell you, if these were even silent, the very stones will cry out. I would have loved to have seen it. By saying this, Jesus was, listen, by saying this, friends, Jesus was claiming that he deserved the worship and he alone of the whole creation. Even if the st crowd stopped praising him, he will have the glory he deserves. Nothing will stop of any of his creation for giving him the glory. See, this conversation with the Pharisees shows us that Jesus himself claimed to be both God and man. Fully God, fully man. He testifies to them that he deserves the praise as the rightful king. He is the Messiah, he is sharing, telling the, the, the Pharisees. Jesus could not and would not deny that is what he truly deserves. So going back to my first, so my original statement, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, is one of the proofs that Jesus really claims to be the Christ. It shows us with certainty that he is the God and the rightful king of all kings. Will you give Jesus the honor he royally deserves? As Lucy and Ethel were wanting to see the queen, were determined, nothing was going to stop them to see the king, the queen. As our hearts moved because of the great love that he's given us, moved to give our allegiance to the rightful king, the king of all kings, Jesus, right? After he was crucified for our sins, he was raised from the dead and then exalted at the right hand of God who rules and sits on his throne. He rules today over all things. That's what we believe. The rightful king may not be in a parade today, but even now he's receiving the glory he deserves from people from all over the world, from every nation, from every ethnic group, when women, children who have been saved by this grace of his that he offers. 
Will we have as much opportunity to praise him as anyone today, tomorrow? So you and I are giving the glory, and are we giving the glory and honor he deserves? Do you acknowledge his sovereign kingship by throwing your life, throwing your decisions, by throwing all things before him, asking him to lead you in everything that you think and do or say? King Jesus is asking that of you. The great cost, he gave up his life willingly. He received the wrath of God willingly so that we would not have to. It cost him the greatest thing of an intimate fellowship with his father. And he is asking us, yes, it will cost us to follow him. But it's not something he doesn't understand. It's not something that he hasn't already done. And because we're in relationship with Christ, we are now by his grace and his mercy able to follow him and to give all of our lives, all of our possessions, all of us, all of our decisions under the authority of Jesus Christ. What's interesting, and I won't focus too much, but we see in that latter passage the heart of our Savior. He looked over Jerusalem, and he knew what was coming. He knew the same people who said, Hosanna in the highest, are going to one day yell, crucify him, crucify. And as he looked over Jerusalem, his heart was heavy because he saw the brokenness of humanity. And what does he do? He weeps. Jesus weeps over those who are forsaking him. He, He weeps over those who are denying that he is the Messiah, the rightful king. Because he knows he offers so much life and peace and joy in following him. Friends, don't miss the Savior. Don't miss the rightful king here this morning. He is here before you. He is proclaiming that he is the rightful king. And I invite you, those who may know him, to recommit that. But those who may not know him, may you consider Jesus as your rightful king, the one who has come to reign over us, but with humility and gentleness. Look at the cross as we will this end of this week, and we see the great love that he has for those who put their trust in him. He is the rightful king. Let us worship him. Let's pray. Great God, we are thankful for this passage in Scripture that reminds us of your son, Jesus Christ who is fully God and fully man, who has come as our king to rule over our hearts. Oh God, help us by your spirit to trust that you're worthy of that adoration. You're worthy of that worship. And Father, if those who are struggling with that this morning, I pray, God, that you would, would remind them of your great love as they look not only at this passage, but at the cross and at your resurrection, and at your ascension, and even at your life. God, you are a Savior worthy to be worshipped as our King. Holy Spirit, do that work of grace, I pray. Amen.